Hello and welcome to an all-new episode of Balls and Whistles, a Highland News and Media Sport Podcast, brought to you by me, Andrew Henderson, and sports editor Will Clark. Will, how are you doing? First off, I thought uh, it was an inspired move by Steve Clark losing two 0 to the Czech Republic on Monday because the group winners play either France, Germany, or Portugal in the last sixteen. We don't want to beat them. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Uh, pleased that David Marshall. Took no chances. Yeah, it was 35 yards out and uh, allowed the lob to go in. You know, we've got we've got a tournament to win, so we've got to do it the best way possible. So well done, everyone. Well, there's also the false sense of security thing ahead of tonight's match against England. And because that's such a big occasion, we've even got a third person on the podcast this week. It's, it hasn't happened for a little while. Ladies and gentlemen, content editor Andy Dixon, also host of Health and Lift Ness. Andy, how are you getting on? Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. This is like one of these uh, crossover episodes between like The Flash and Supergirl. I could be The Flash. I don't know which one of you guys could be Supergirl. That's not the example I thought you were going to go for. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it is worlds collide, isn't it? It's like when Jeanette Cranky met David Hasselhoff. Maybe it's uh, Marvel's Avengers Assemble and I'll be the Incredible Hulk. So don't make me angry. There yeah, Avengers is like the obvious one I would have thought. And then... I- like, Will, where did that come from? <laughs> well, I'm no Jeanette Kange. <laughs> okay, right, sure. Well, as people can probably hear, Andy, by your accent, you're not Scottish. No. So we've got both sides of tonight's match represented here. Since you're a newbie on Balls and Whistles, Andy, I'm going to come to you first. So I'm putting you on the spot. What are you expecting from the match tonight? I think it'll be a big game. I think it'll be a good game. Um, I think it'll be exciting. Um, I think it could go either one of two ways. I think either England will score early and it'll be comfortable or they'll have to weather the storm and then score and then it'll be comfortable. Either way, you think it's going to be comfortable for England? I think so. I mean, you know, a lot of people, there's been a lot of talk about the Croatia game and saying that that wasn't overly exciting. But, I mean, it was a young team and they produced a solid display. I think it was a comfortable win in the end against the World Cup finalists. You know, a country that knocked us out of the semi-finals in that tournament. Um, so, I mean, it shows progress from England. And, I mean, some would say that that performance by England was even the performance of champions. Some would, yes. I'm, I'm sure some would. For me, like, form just goes totally out the window. This is a derby. I know it's international football, but this is a derby. Scotland lost their opening game. England won their opening game. I don't think that really matters because if ever there is a match the Scotland players are going to be up for, it's going to be this one. I know, you know, first tournament match in 23 years, it's a big occasion, but Scotland versus England is the one they'll all want to be involved in. And I think this is going to be a battle the whole way. I think England will probably end up having too much, but we've seen the last couple of times they've faced each other. It's not an easy match either. You know, I think Scotland are going to push them the whole, whole way for the whole 90 minutes. I don't think it's going to be comfortable at all. You mentioned the last time we played each other and, you know, I go to the gym and I speak to Scotland fans in the gym. There's been a lot of talk this week about the 2-2 draw in the last meeting when Griffith's got a couple of world-class free kicks and Hamden Park was buzzing and bouncing and jumping and everyone thought they were going to win. And England still came back and scored, even in that atmosphere. So, I mean, it's not going to be that sort of atmosphere because there's going to be fewer fans in the stadium, I'm sure. There'll be noise made. But... I just can't see it. I know I know, games aren't played on paper, all that sort of stuff. But, I mean, in every position, I think England are 
are slightly stronger than, than Scotland. And I'm not buying into the fact that, that Scotland will want it more because I think the England players want it as well. But I think that it will be very emotional. So, I mean, what I'm really looking for from, from England is a, almost a robotic performance. I want a workmanlike professional display where they just won't let the emotions come into it. And, you know, maybe some of the Scotland players might allow emotions to come into it because it's such a big sort of game for them. It's arguably the biggest game for them this millennia, really. And both teams will want the points. I mean, for Scotland, it's, it's do or die. I mean, they've got to win. If they don't win, they'll be on zero points with one game to go in the group. If they win, it's going to put the cat amongst the pigeons. It really is. I mean, if they win, Croatia beat the Czechs, everyone will be on three points. We're a bit of a wounded animal at the moment, aren't we? On Monday, I think everyone thought that uh, this was going to be um, Scotland's um, spectacular comeback into tournament football after 23 years in the wilderness. And it just ended up being a bit of a damp squib, didn't it? The Czech Republic, they were the better team on the day, but you know, on paper, are they really that much better than Scotland? Yeah, you'll have seen the piece that I wrote for the Inverness Courier website and we had the gallery of pictures showing all the emotions. You know, there was real mix of emotion. I spoke to some fans and they said that, you know, that they were proud that Scotland were there. They were excited about the game being on. They were disappointed with the result, but they were optimistic that they might bounce back. And, you know, in football, the hope can kill us sometimes. Um, I mean... The city is obviously buzzing with anticipation. And I'm sure, I mean, I can't imagine what it's like for you guys because obviously, you know, you Scotland fans not been to a tournament for so long. But I'm sure there's going to be a mix of nerves and excitement there, probably a bit, bit of both. Oh, yeah, of course the excitement's still going to be there. But I think Scotland are going to have to be quite stuffy in their approach to try and get something from England. You can't imagine England changing their formation too much. It's probably going to be another 4 3 3, isn't it? With Foden, Kane, and Raheem Sterling, which is a terrifying attack, to be honest. So, just a question of who Scotland put in defence. I'm not sure I would stick with Grant Hanley, to be honest. I think he was guilty with the first goal. I'd maybe stick in Declan Gallagher. Maybe he's an Aberdeen fan. I'd stick in Scott McKenna as well. I don't know. But I think there needs to be a change in defence. But um, I, I can't see them playing two attackers up front. I know they tried to switch it up at halftime against the Czech Republic. They took Ryan Christie off and put Shea Adams uh, up front with uh, Lyndon Dykes trying to get the goal. But that backfired quite early on in the game. So it's going to be a, a stuffy performance. Um, would Scotland take a point? Probably. And try and get all three against Croatia. I'd take a draw on Friday night. And a draw, draw, draw for England, I suppose, is, is fair enough as well. You know, I mean, you'd imagine England will beat the Czechs in the next game and, and progress. Um, but, I mean, I've said throughout to whoever will listen that England's... That how England do in this tournament will depend on how Harry Kane does. Harry Kane didn't have the best of games against Croatia. But if it, Harry Kane comes on to form and has a great tournament, England will do great. If Harry Kane is an exceptional tournament, England will do exceptionally well. I mean, I'm not saying they're a one-man team. They've got strength throughout. And I think this is maybe the difference between England and a few other teams. 
is that we've got a second 11, basically, you know, that are just as good as the first 11. So you can interchange and he's got the options there. And I mean, it helps having a, a bigger squad because of the COVID situation. Um, but I mean, Gareth Southgate will have, you know, a lot of choices to make going into this game as well. You know, he might think about bringing back Jordan Henderson, you know, even though Henderson's got injury doubts, he might think about bringing back Harry Maguire as well, if that option's open, just to have that little bit more experience there. But I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on the same, you know, with the same team again against Scotland. You know, I mean, like I say, it was a comfortable professional performance against Croatia. I know people weren't jumping from the rooftops, but it's arguably the toughest game in the group stages. And we've got to beat everyone. I know you were saying about where you would progress to if you won the group. But, I mean, if we're going to win the tournament, then we've got to knock these teams out at some point. I know, but I, I'd just be terrified if I won this group. You know, I've, I've seen France, I've seen Portugal. They're playing some silky football. I don't know if you saw the France-Germany game uh, earlier this week. I know it was only 1-0, but the way France were playing, it was incroyable. Well, uh, I can't speak French to you, but I don't think either side can really look beyond this game. I think if England start looking beyond this game and become complacent, I think they'll pay the price. Like I said before, Scotland need to they need to win the match, otherwise they're more or less out of the tournament. I know that with the expanded format of the tournament, more teams being in it than usual, that a lot of these third-place teams can get through. But if Scotland lose to England after losing to the Czechs, would you really expect them to beat Croatia in the last game to get through as a third-place team? I'm not sure. It is mathematically possible. I'm not saying it's likely, but it is mathematically possible to get through as a third-place team with one point. It's unlikely. It's a, it's possible to get through with three points. Northern Ireland did it four year, five years ago. Sorry, I'm getting my maths wrong. Five years ago. Come on, Will. Um, but obviously four points would make progression certain for the second round. So if it's a stuffy performance in Wembley uh, tonight, I'll take that and we'll go and beat Croatia. Croatia look a shadow of the team they were uh, at Russia three years ago. They just didn't have the same excitement about them. So I would take beating Croatia at Hamden. I think Scotland could get a result there because we've never lost to Croatia, actually. Where did that stat come from? That's impressive. Scotland have never lost to Croatia. How many times have you played them? Uh, four or five. Four. I thought you were going to say zero then. Yeah, that's about four or five more than I was expected as well. I, re- I remember the last qualifying group uh, we went in with Croatia. We beat them home and away. It wasn't that long ago. So, yeah. I'll, I'll take Scotland to beat Croatia at Hamden if it means we'll only get a point on Friday night. Listen, I'm, I'm torn. I'm torn about it. You know, I mean, I think a draw, you know, we feel like we're a draw. Um, I'm obviously born and bred in England, you know, and I live in Scotland. Um, commissioned the front page for the Inverness Courier saying, come on, Scotland. You know, I want Scotland to do well in this, in this tournament. I don't want them to do well at the expense of England obviously, but I want them to progress. I want them to get to the knockout stages. I'm not sure if, if Scotland have ever been to the knockout stages of a major competition. But, you know, above all else, I'm a Huddersfield Town fan, so I'm a realist. I've seen my team reach the Premier League, but I've also seen us get relegated to the third division. So like most fans, I've been through a lot. And 
all I ever want is to see my team give their all on the pitch and leave nothing in the tank. And that's what I want tonight. You know, I want that for the England-Scotland game. I want both teams to have no regrets. And then you just got to say, fair enough, but the best teams won on the day. If there's mistakes made like there was against Czech Republic, then that could prove costly. If Scotland take all their chances, then they could have a good night. And uh, there's a good chance two Indonesians might start on Friday night. I reckon Stuart Armstrong will probably start again because it doesn't look like Kieran Tierney's going to be fit, which is a, a huge blow because Tierney's at the left side is arguably one of the top players in the world. They would have said it. Ryan Christie, he started against the Czech Republic, but he got hooked at half time when things weren't going right. So we don't know if he'll start. Uh, maybe James Forrest might take his place. Maybe Ryan Fraser, I don't know. But uh, I thought Ryan Christie had a decent enough game in the first half. You know, set up Andrew Robertson for a great chance. The goalkeeper pulled off a great save. Should be mentioned as well, the Czech keeper had a fantastic game. You know, we had chances. It's just that the Czechs took theirs and we didn't. So I'll take a draw and uh, go for the three points on Tuesday against Croatia. I started laughing while Andy was talking there because I just knew he'd find a way to get Huddersfield in there somewhere. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew it was going to happen at some point. But another thing you said earlier is that it's the hope that gets you. And that basically sums up what it is to be a Scotland fan. <laughs> Whether that's at a major tournament or not, that's basically what sums it up. I said right at the start, you know, I think Scotland are going to be up for this. I think it's going to be a battle, but I do kind of agree. I think England are going to have too much. I think England are going to get the win, much as I would love to see Scotland get a result. I'm going to ask you for your score predictions in a minute, but the reason I'm saying that is because I'm about to give mine and I feel quite annoyed that I'm saying this, but I'm going to go 2-1 England. because I think that quality that you talked about, Andy, will show in the end. Much as I would love to see something different, I don't really see it happening logically. Will, you said that you'd take a draw. Do you think it'll happen? Yes, 2-2. 2-2, same as last time. I think it's going to be an epic battle. People are writing Scotland off and when people write Scotland off, most of the time they're right. But <laughs> I think uh, they'll rise to the occasion tonight and uh, at least get a point and it'll go down to the last game uh, against Croatia if we'll qualify or not. So 2-2 two, two from me. Andy, play some pride, go for it. See, I said earlier on it could, go, it could go one or two ways. Either England will score early and it'll be comfortable and, you know, I just hope it's not embarrassingly comfortable. You know, it could be, it could put five past Scotland, you know. Or they'll have to weather the storm early on. Um, I mean, we've got to remember a lot of these players, you know, they're, they're familiar with each other. A lot of them play for teams that meet every week in the English Premier League. Even they played together. I've seen a headline that Jack Grealish and John McGinn have had to stop their nightly FaceTime calls in the build-up to this match. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of that. And, I mean, that might be another thing, you know, the England players, you know, they'll know how much this means to them. So they want them to do well. So, I mean, I hope they don't treat them like a soft touch and become complacent, like I said before. You know, I mean, I hope that they are ruthless and they do win that way. But like I say, they could either score early, they could be comfortable, or they'll have to weather the storm. And it could be, you know, instead of like 5-0, it could be 5-1, maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> I feel like we should leave it there because otherwise we're just going to get into some arguments here, Andy. <laughs> Great to have you on the show, Andy. Thanks very much. Uh, no, seriously, no, no, no. I'm being, I'm being, I'm being, um, I'm being unfair there. No, I think, I think there, there's every chance that you guys could get a draw or even nick a win. Like I said before, if you guys nick a win, win one nil. You know, Harry Kane has a bad day. You guys win one nil. It puts the cat amongst the pigeons. It really does. And I could see then, you know, a scenario where England get beat by Czech Republic at Wembley and even with three points go out. Wouldn't uh, that be sweet? And we're just feel fan, I'm an England fan. We've seen it all before, you know, we've seen we've seen highs, we've seen lows. Scotland fans have seen highs and lows as well, but not at major tournaments in recent years. So, you know, it's, it's a chance for you guys to experience that. But I see what happens, I guess. It'd just be nice to experience a high at a major tournament, as far as I'm concerned. It'll be a big high if you guys beat England. If we beat England, honestly, I think Scotland could go out and most people would be happy. That is what our tournament is about right now. <laughs> this is the other thing that could happen. You guys could beat England. We could beat Czech Republic. We could go on and win the tournament, win every other match. And then Scotland fans will be rubbing it in our faces that they beat England in the group stages. And they'll say that they're the European champions, uncrowned Euro 2020 champions because they beat England and the only team to beat England in the tournament. That could realistically happen. I could foresee that happening. It happened in 67. Scotland were the unofficial world champions. That's what I'm saying. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you guys remind people about that all the time. Not as much as you guys remind people about 66, to be fair. It's true. It's true. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, I'm surprised you guys haven't produced any of these songs or anything yet. I was waiting for a musical intro there from, from Will, but, um, you know, maybe next time. If I'm invited back, let's see. You're always welcome. <laughs> uh, I'll leave you guys to speak about the serious stuff. But just before you go, Andy, everybody should listen to Health and Lift Nest. Just quickly tell them why. Well, I mean, we, we try and uh, inform, entertain, motivate and inspire most of all and it's about sort of making people uh, try and think about their sort of health and fitness really you know it's health and fitness it's a play on health and fitness i would never have guessed well you know i got it well will's got it will's a big fan will loves it he listens every week um obviously it's trying to sort of encourage people to to keep fit and healthy i think it's a big thing you know there's a lot of uh, stuff in the news about obesity and all that sort of stuff and health and fitness is, is a big it's, you know, it's a big industry as well you know there's a lot of people uh that do it there's a lot of gyms there's a lot of uh other sort of programs and uh things that people can get into obviously you guys you know you cover all the sport it's sort of you know it's a crossover it's a natural sort of crossover there with what you guys do and what you guys talk about and you know i mean i would encourage everyone to listen to that and listen to balls and whistles. Obviously. Health and Lift Nest is out on Mondays. I believe, actually, Andy, you're about to go and record some stuff later on as we're recording this. So there's going to be a whole load of new content coming out there. Make sure you check it out on the Inverness Career website. Excellent, Andy. Good to have you on the show anyway, mate. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank you. Cheers. All the best to you. But that was nice to have Andy on the show for a change. It's his, yeah. his debut on Balls and Whistles, but obviously, like we said, he's got his own podcast, so make sure you go and listen to that. We had to get the Euro stuff in, didn't we? We had to talk about it. We were so excited last week. We had to revisit it, even though the result didn't quite go away on Monday. But it's also been a pretty 
busy few days, really, not even the full week, in a lot of other ways. That's an understatement, Hendo. <laughs> How many signings have Cali Fissel made in the space of 12 hours, or 18 hours even? Hopefully no more come out in between recording this and the actual publishing of this episode, but as it stands, four. Four. We've got four signings to talk about for Cali Thistle. There's Billy Mackay going back to the club, mm-hmm. Manny Duku signing from Wraith Rovers, Reese McAleer on loan from Norwich, and Michael Gardine making the jump from Ross County. I mean, let's just get straight into those. You know, what do you make of those signings? Do you think they're good recruits? Is it what Cali Thistle needed? What do we think? Well, the box office one is Michael Gardine, obviously. Billy McKay's, I suppose, is a bit of a box office signing as well. There was rumours that uh, as soon as they were released from Ross County, they would be making a move over the bridge. People thought Billy McKay was probably an obvious one. Michael Gardine, Mr Ross County himself, there was maybe a bit of a question if he would join Inverness Caledonian Thistle, but uh, he obviously lives up here for such a long time. He, he really enjoys uh, that the Highlands. I think he lives in Inverness itself as well. So I think on a personal level, a move to Cali Thistle was probably agreeable for him. Um, and it's quite attacking signings that they've made uh, in terms of Billy Mackay, uh, Manny Duku, who's a very good signer as well, I think, uh, as well as... Uh, Michael Gardine will probably play behind them. You just wonder what kind of formation Dodds is going to go with, don't you? Because Nikolai Todorov has unfortunately decided to leave and go to Dunfermline. I think he's a big loss, by the way. He really won me over last season. I thought he would prove himself to be a very good striker. And obviously, he's decided to go elsewhere to Dunfermline Athletic. Maybe he's getting a better deal there because of the German investment that's coming into East End Park. But... uh, yeah, Dodds hasn't hung about to try and find his replacement anyway. And it was always one up front, but with Duku and um, Mackay and, and possibly even Gardine, does this signal that they're going to play two up front next season? Is it going to be a completely different formation to what it was under John Robertson? Because he was always a 4-2-3-1 man, but it might be two strikers up front now. It's going to be interesting to see for sure. I think the option is still there to stick with the 4 because Billy McKay did that number 10 sort of second striker role at County when he was playing off of Ross Stewart or Brian Graham, Lee Irwin. You know, he's been there, done that. Gardine can play through the middle. He tends to play out wide and sort of drift wherever the space is. So you talk about what sort of formations, very attack science. Yes, you're right. But you also look at the people who've left. We said last week Tom Walsh might be a replacement for Daniel Mackay. You've mentioned Todorov's gone. Presumably that's where Mayuduku comes in. James Keating's left the club as well. Presumably that's where Billy Mackay comes in. So I don't think it's going to be too different. They maybe got an extra option or two. I don't think it's going to be drastically different from what we've seen in the past. And to be honest, I don't really know anything about this youngster coming in on loan from Norwich. So I've no idea where he's going to fit into this. No, no, Reese McAuley um, comes with a pedigree coming from a now English Premiership club, but you're right, I don't know anything about this guy either. But uh, that's why we're not in the football management scouting business, are we? We're reporting it, but, you know, I'll be honest, my knowledge of any other youth player in the Norwich City setup is non-existent as well. He came through the ranks at Motherwell. He signed for Norwich a couple of years ago, but that's pretty much the extent of it. I don't know what kind of player he is. I don't know if he's going to be attack-minded, defense-minded. 
where he's going to fit into the system with Cali Thistle, there's still question marks there. He's come up a decent pedigree, but yeah, it's been very attack-minded so far. So it just leads me to question, will there be a, a different sort of mentality on the pitch um, to what it was under John Robertson? Well, I say that, but you know, John Robertson was quite an attack-minded guy as well. We had the, the attack in midfield three in front of the lone striker. It could be that sort of thing. But yeah, very attack-minded um, statements. Billy Mackay, Mari Duku, will they make a good partnership up front? You know, Billy Mackay, he's proven himself to be a poacher, you know, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way because poachers win prizes. Um, Duku, when I saw him at Rafe Rovers, he impressed me as well. So very good signings. I'm sure that Gardine would prefer still to be at Ross County and playing in the Premiership, but he could certainly do a, a decent job at Cali Thistle and uh, might be at a good level to shine in the Championship, you know? Yeah, I, I think we kind of saw that with Billy Mackay as well. Last time he was in the Championship, he top scored for Ross County, scoring 20 goals as yeah. they won the title. Mm-hmm. He struggled a bit more in the Premiership. He was a little bit more patchy in the top flight. When he was on top form, he was unplayable and would score basically every single week but he'd also go for stretches without it maybe that's going to be the case with somebody like a Gardine now as well where just taking that wee step down it's not that he can't play at the highest level anymore but that wee step down will allow him to shine on a more consistent basis I also think it's really important that these guys have come in so early on in the transfer window well you made the point last week about Ross County usually they do their business really early we haven't seen anything from them we'll come on to that in a second but Cali Thistle were back in pre-season training in the last day or two, and these guys have been in basically since day one. So that's going to give Billy Dodds all the time he needs to integrate them, work in a system, get that partnership, that understanding between the likes of Mackay and Dooku that we're talking about, and really allow it to thrive by the time we get to competitive matches. Yeah, we'll we'll actually get to see them in action uh, next week, hopefully. They've got a friendly at Clacknacudden, which uh, hopefully that I'll be able to attend, and the fans will be able to attend as well. And then they've got uh, another friendly the week after at uh, Highland Champions Brewery Rangers. So, you know, as well as getting the players in, it's good to have these fixtures early on as well. Because I don't think many clubs are playing this early, uh, off the top of my head. Certainly not at that level. I think I've seen a few Highland League clubs announcing stuff, but I haven't seen SPFL clubs announcing too Yeah, much. that's what I mean. Yeah, SPFL Championship clubs. Um, Califis will obviously want to see what they've got early on before the League Cup starts in second week of July How? it's not that far away last in a month we're almost there but uh, I think that's as many attacking signings we'll see from Cali Fissle this season I think they're now covered in that space for me they probably need a couple of signings in defence as well because Brad Mackay is gone I think it's a big loss I, I always rated Brad Mackay quite highly he was quite um, versatile as well he can move from centre back to right back did a good job at centre-back, in my opinion, last season when Dave Carson came back to right-back. But he's gone and now they've got to fill the void because Kevin McCarty is gone as well. Dundee Devine, he's got to need a partner at centre-back. So the next big signing at Cali Fissel, I do expect to be a, a defender. Um, but in terms of going forward, I think Dodds is content with what he's got now. Yeah, I think it's just a case of tweaking it now at the back. They overhauled the defence kind of out of necessity last year because they lost basically their entire first choice defence in the six or so months before that. I think if you look at it now as a back four from left to right of Harper, Dees, Devine, Carson, or Duffy, if they want to move Carson back into midfield for whatever reason, that's pretty solid. It's just about what's behind that. 
you know, they need that extra couple of options there in case there are injuries or suspensions so that the ability level doesn't dip way below that when they have to go into a second choice team. But they've got the core of it there. Like you say, I think they've now filled out the depth for attacking midfield as well. Just maybe a case of bringing one or two extra bodies in who can keep those standards high when they need it at the back. We speak about Reese McAuley. Like I said, we don't know too much about him, but you'd expect him to be a sort of attacking midfielder because you've got Sean Welsh, you've got Scott Allardyce. That's your centre midfield and a very good centre midfielder as of that. So you can't imagine too many more signings in the midfield or the attack if, unless they bring in a, a few youth players. But I think that's the one area Dodds has to address now. Who does he get as a centre-back to replace Brian McKay? Wallace Duffy, could he play centre-back? He can, he has, but we saw him mostly right back last season. Mm. So they might want to bring someone else in rather than reshuffling the pack there. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting Robbie Dees here. But the reason I'd say could they bring in a centre-back because Robbie Dees was shifted to left-back. Neil McCann preferred him to Kami Harper. And with Billy Dodds working under Neil McCann, will he be of the same mentality? Will he look at that and think, you know what, Robbie Dees, you're decent enough at left-back. I'm going to keep you there and maybe bring someone else at centre-back. Unfortunately, that might come at the cost of Kami Harper. That's why I'm thinking the next big signing could be a centre-back. I think regardless of what you do with Dieselier, whether he stays at left-back or whether he moves back into the middle, you're probably looking at adding another centre-half, as I say, just for depth. That's cover, yeah. Because, I mean, whether Dies is playing left-back or centre-back, you can't really get away with two first-choice centre-halves and not much past that. Uh, I know Ryan Fife, Harry Nicholson were on the fringes of the first team last year. Maybe they're ready to step up. We're going to have to wait and see in that front, but I would still expect them to bring in a defender whether that's an out-and-out left-back and definitely moving Dees back in the middle, whether that's a right-back and moving Duffy in the middle, whether that's a centre-back, I think they're going to need at least one more. Let's face it, Dave Carson's at right-back for the rest of his life at Cully Fissel now. <laughs> he was not good. He was a, he was sensational in that position. It was a masterstroke by Neil McCann. So I can't see him coming back to midfield anytime soon. Could be a wing-back. Could be a wing back. Yeah, I was about to say the curveball is Dodds might want to play three at the back. We don't yeah. know that yet. Yeah, could be a wing back, but he was so effective in that defensive position. He's a, an ace in the hole, as far as I'm concerned. You don't want to shift him from that position. Well, we're talking about preseason friendlies and transfers with Cali Thistle. We haven't seen anything on either side of those when it comes to Ross County, but there was a couple of announcements there this week, I suppose, in that Malky Mackay's added to his backroom team and he also spoke to the club's website. Well, like I said earlier, you were saying last week, why hasn't there been more transfer activity, basically, with Ross County already? He was saying he's in no rush to go out and sign players just for the sake of signing players early on. He's quite happy to wait the entire transfer window to make sure he gets the right people in. It's a bit of a departure from their tactics over the last couple of years. Is it the right call? Could be the right call. Um, Like you said, it's a departure of what Ross County have handled their business previously. I remember during the off-season, we would report on a new signing every week from Ross County almost. Sometimes more than one as well. But looking back at it now and what the results that they achieved, um, just narrowly avoiding relegation, maybe it was the wrong way. Maybe Stuart Kettlewell and Stephen Ferguson were guilty of maybe rushing, bringing in people in. Maybe Malcolm McKay is now taking a methodical approach, not just rushing and, and maybe saying, you're a midfielder, you're available, come to Dingwall. You're a striker, looking for a job, head north. Defender, 
we need one of those if you fancy a trip to the Highlands. Um, to be fair, I'd like to think that's not what Catwell Ferguson did. I, oh, no, no, maybe I'm exaggerating there, but they did their business very quickly and it was just like ping, 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 new signing, new signing, new signing, new signing. Maybe in the past, previous managers have taken reputations on paper, whereas Malky McKay really wants to get to know the player, study them, have a word with them, maybe take them on trial, seeing them in action before deciding, yeah, you're the man for me, come on board. Time will tell if this is the right way to go about it or no. I think I read in your piece that he has spoken to other people, but they're maybe taking four to six weeks to make a decision, which Mackay himself said it's not ideal, didn't he? Um, but, you know, maybe taking your time to analyse players and before bringing them in could be the right way to do it. But like I said, time will tell. Yeah, his point with that sort of timescale was loan players, really. He's saying they've been in discussions with clubs, been on the phone to agents, um, asking about who might be available to come into Ross County. But with clubs having so many players away at the Euros right now, the numbers are obviously much smaller for pre-season. If they've got friendlies coming up or uh, even, I suppose, for a couple of clubs in the Premiership League Cup games coming up and they've got international players away, they're not going to want to let people go right now. So it's going to take that three, four or five weeks before they're actually allowed to leave, which isn't ideal. It may prove to be the right thing. You're absolutely right. It, it may be a case of the right player is more important than getting them in quickly, but it may also mean a bit of jet lag right at the start of the campaign. And the fixtures came out as well. It's something we didn't talk about with Callie Thistle. The league fixtures have now been released for the SPFL. And it's a tough start Ross County have got. It's a stinker. There's no other way of putting it. It's five of last season's top six. Five of the top six from last season. Albeit they've got that at home to St Johnston. Probably not, not an easy game by any stretch of the imagination. But in terms of those matches, arguably the most likely Ross County have a chance of picking up points. Maybe I'm being too kind in Aberdeen. But <laughs> it's St Johnston, Hibernian, away, Rangers at home, and then away trips to Aberdeen and Celtic. It's a tough start, but I tell you what, if Ross County managed to get seven points, that would be a phenomenal start to the season, given the fixtures they've got. Ross County, you've got to remember, they did beat Celtic twice last season, once in the league, once in the League Cup. So they might be running high on adrenaline, because Ross County, they do get off to good starts in the league. Just look at last season, they beat Mullerwell, they beat Hamilton, and then between then and the end of December, they only won once. I think it was away to St Johnston. But they do get off to good starts. And Malky Mackay um, taking his first league games in charge, it could be a baptism of fire for the players. You can imagine four or five new signings in the squad because, let's face it, they lost 10 players. Although they've done very well to keep um, Blair Spittle. I think that's a fantastic um, signature for them. So, tough start, but... Get a good start to it, and then on paper, it's the rest of the fixtures in the first round of games are against teams that were in the bottom six last season, including Hearts, uh, who came up. So We're going to obviously talk a lot more about the start of the league season when the league is actually about to start, but you mentioned Blair Spittle has signed a new deal to stay at the club. One player who was among the released contingent and has now hung up his boots is Carl Tremarco, who's obviously a Cali Thistle legend as well. Let me just say, first off, congratulations on a fantastic career to Carl from everybody here at Balls and Whistles and all the newspapers. 
it's still going to be involved in football. He's the head of youth at Ross County. He was already there over the last few months doing it on a part-time basis. He's now full-time there. I was chatting to him earlier this week. He seems really happy just coaching the kids right now. He's also got his own soccer school called The Other Foot. I mean, he decided to prioritise his coaching career over dropping down playing part-time. Fair play to him. If that's what he wants to do, that's what he wants to do. I mean, he's a leader on the park. You know, he, he was the captain at Cali Thistle for a reason. And uh, he always spoke like a leader as well. So it's no surprise to me that um, the next chapter for him is going into coaching. Well, like you said as well, fantastic servant to both Cali Thistle and uh, to all the clubs that he's been at during his career. He said he got quite emotional with all the messages of support when he announced his retirement. I, I guess anyone who retires from the game, it's never an easy decision but um, he, he's ready for the next chapter in his life. I'll, I'll be honest, I could see him becoming a manager one day. I, I think he's got the qualities to become a head coach manager. I think that's something that he would aspire to be as well. I, I know at the moment he's a coach and he's enjoying um, bringing through the stars of the future at uh, Ross County, but I think he's got the qualities to become a manager. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in a dugout at an English or Scottish club in the next few seasons. But every time we've spoken to him, always a gent, like, um, always had time for the media and always believed in putting a message across in the media to help galvanise his team. But yeah, I've got a lot of time for Carl. So enjoy your retirement, but, you know, you're a football man. Enjoy your coaching. And uh, I hope he's really ambitious with his coaching because I think he'd be a fantastic manager for somebody. It's funny you bring up the management side of things because the reason that I said he's quite happy doing what he's doing, quite happy coaching the kids, is because that was his response when I asked him, are you looking at management long term? And he kind of said that we don't know what the future holds, never say never, but he's never coached men before. He's only ever coached kids and he's quite happy doing it. So I'm with you. I think he'd be a fantastic manager. I think he's got exactly the right sort of personality for it. He's obviously got knowledge of the game. It's not to say it won't happen, but it doesn't seem to be something he's looking at right now. We'll see what the future holds. One of Carl's former teammates, though, who has had a few injury problems, and I think some people may have thought was on the verge of retirement, hasn't, and has signed for Brewer Rangers. I'm, of course, talking about Josh Meekings. What a coup for them. Box office. I remember getting the confirmation on Sunday, and it was like, set your faces to stunned. This is a magnificent capture by Brewer Rangers and it just signals their intent uh, that they want promotion to League Two. I was speaking to uh, Stephen Mackay, the Brewer Rangers manager. It sounds like they're not done yet. He wants one or two more experienced players to come into that club because they were, what's the best word I can describe it? I'll be conservative and say human with how they performed against Kelty Hearts in the League Two playoff semi-final. Before that game, Stephen Mackay was convinced his squad was good enough to make the step up. And then after the semi-final, they lost 6-1 in aggregate. Kelty deservedly deserved to win both games. He came out and said, we're not anywhere near ready to make the step up. So for the last few weeks, ever since the, the defeat at Kelty, he's obviously come up with a game plan. He's tried to think, Right, we've got a good young squad, but we need some experienced players in it. So who can come in and fill that space? He said himself the market is quite lean in terms of experienced players. He mentioned, you know, the players that were released from Ross County. Are they really want to 
go and uh, play for Brewer Rangers or are they going to try and get another full-time club? But they've managed to convince Josh Meekins to come to Brewer Rangers. So defensively, he says he's fine now, but he wants a midfielder and he wants a forward. So it's going to be very interesting to find out who he brings in. I, I looked at uh, Brewer Rangers' chances of retaining the Highland League title and I thought there might be one or two teams capable of uh, beating them this season, like Sir Bucky Fissel, Fraserburgh, even Fort Martin, because financially they're just as powerful as Brora Rangers. But with signings like this, you've got to rank Brora Rangers' heavy favourites to win the league again. It's following the Lowland League model, isn't it? We've seen for years now players dropping out of League One in the Championship to sign for ambitious Lowland League clubs who want to get into the SBFL. And it's not something that the Highland League has ever really done in the same way. Even when Cove went up, I seem to remember that was more sort of signing the best of the talent in the Highland League. And it was only once they went up, they started signing some of these more box office players. But this seems to be the first step of Brewer. And it's almost like, I mean, you were alluding to that playoff defeat against Kelty. It's almost like that was a wake-up call for them, that actually we need to follow their example if we want to have the same sort of success. So it's a very interesting move. And like you say, it's going to be fascinating to see what follows it because there could be more to come. And that's the really exciting thing for everybody up at Dudgeon Park. We've been talking a lot about football. There's a couple more things to go, unfortunately, for anyone who isn't a fan of football. I appreciate this is going to be a long episode. But we should, well, really, I should apologise to Gosby Sutherland. Because last week when we were going through everything and I thought we were running long in time, I kind of wrote off the North Caledonian League saying it's unlikely that the Division 1 title is going to be secured this weekend. And of course, what happened? Golspie Sutherland went and won the Division 1 League title. <laughs> Congratulations to Golspie. Um, won 1-0 in Orkney and Invergordon losing 3-1 to Perso. Golspie Sutherland, uh, they played an early kickoff. So when Infant Gordon and Ferso reached full time, they were in the most appropriate place in a pub in St. Margaret's Hope, waiting for their ferry back to the mainland. What amazed me is the implosion at Infant Gordon. They were heavy favourites to win the league before it was suspended in December for five months. And then they didn't win a game since they've returned. And Golspie Sutherland, they've just simply capitalised on it. It's not like Inver Gordon were bad because I, I watched them against Golsby Sutherland. It was a nil-nil draw, but they had the best chances. They just couldn't convert them. So we spoke about the like, Scotland-Czech Republic. Golsby Sutherland took their chances and Gordon didn't. And now Golsby are champions. They've won the league for the 11th time and fully deserved as well. Congratulations from me and you and everyone at Bulls and Whistles. Of course. Who else would it be from? Uh, I also want to, again, I realise I'm starting to rattle through things quite quickly now, but I do want to mention Callie Thistle's women's team. We talked last week briefly about them having their first match in over seven months, and they absolutely went and smashed it. They beat Stonehaven 10-1. There were some fantastic finishes. They're in action again this weekend in a pre-season friendly away at East Fife. And we've also got the return of the Highlands and Islands League. It's all happening. It's literally all happening in football. Pretty much everybody's now being talked about again. It's great. Excellent. And I did an article for the Northern Times this week where I spoke to Sutherland Football Club who are making their debut in the Highlands and Islands League. Thanks to Nadine and Siobhan for their time. I spoke to them on Wednesday nights. It was desperate for them last season when they were two days away from playing their first game and then the pandemic happened and the whole season was cancelled. But 14, 15 months on, they've kept it going. Uh, They've got 30 players in their squad. 
in terms of training, they can have up to 45 turning up. So they're doing a great job. And uh, they play near St Ninian on Sunday. So best of luck to both teams in that. And best of luck to everyone in the Highlands and Islands League. It's going to be some interesting matches there. I know that Bucky against Brewer has actually been called off already because they couldn't find a venue to play that match at. But you mentioned Nairn against Sutherland. There's also Cali Thistle Development Squad against another new team, Orkney. And the defending champions, Clacken Cudden, are going to be away at Caithness to wrap up the first round of league matches there. Very exciting stuff. Good luck to everyone involved as well. I think that's more than enough football, though. I think we've been talking about it for more than enough time, so let's move on to some other sports. And there was a bronze medal, a first bronze medal in a world championships for Finn Graham, the paracyclist. What an amazing achievement for him. And he wasn't far off winning the gold either. It was a very close contest between the top three riders. And uh, obviously he's delighted, and it's a major step towards uh, Great Britain selection for the Paralympics at Tokyo. That's the one... Thing he wants the most and uh, he's still on track to do it he's, he's going uh, it's just a question of can we convince the company to send me to Japan in August to cover the event yeah, I mean he's proven with this performance he's one of the best in the world he probably already was considered one of the best in the world to be honest he's had plenty of top 10 finishes at these sorts of events before out in Portugal last weekend he came fifth in the time trial came third in the road race so he's just getting better and better it was obviously long before the podcast started, Well, but I think we spoke last year about how this might actually do good, the postponement of the Olympics, because he was the youngest member that was down in the provisional GB squad. So at that extra year's experience to train, to develop, to have an extra few races under his belt, it could do him the world of good, and hopefully he gets to show that out in Tokyo later on in the summer. Well, he's now competing, not just competing, he's winning medals against the world's best Um at the World Championship, he got a bronze, and at World Cup, he's won World Cup events as well. Uh, the one in Belgium not too long ago, before 2020, he did win a gold medal uh, as part of a team, but he's winning medals individually now. So it just shows the progress that he has made, and maybe the postponement of the Paralympics has done him in the world a good. It just helped him develop his body better, and uh, you know now he's a world class athlete. He always had the potential to be, but now he is a world class athlete. And an athlete that is capable of winning medals at world championship level and hopefully Paralympic level later this summer. Well, moving on then to golf, there's been a couple of tournaments recently. The amateur championships have been going on all this week. Sandy Scott unfortunately had to pull out of the tournament because of injury in his home course, but his younger brother Callum has been set in the early days of the tournament, a light at least. And well, you were also doing a little bit about the left-handed championships that were at Muir of Ord. So it's been Big deals happening in golf. Golf is uh, swinging into action this summer. Yeah, there's been a lot of golf events. There's going to be a lot of open championships uh, across the Highland. Uh, the, the last weekend, there was the Royal Dornick Ladies Championship. Congratulations to Caitlin Boa, who I also spoke to for the Northern Times earlier this week. Uh, successfully defended her title uh, against Cara Thompson, who is a multiple-time champion. And it was, a, it was a nice touch from Caitlin to say that Cara was kind of one of our inspirations to become the player that she is today. At the time of going to press, Callum Scott still in with a shout uh, at the Amateur Championship. Uh, comfortably won his last 64 match on Wednesday. And uh, he was up against an Icelandic golfer on Thursday morning. I think the match is still taking place as we're recording at the moment. 
I'm actually just checking before just to make sure I'm not doing any of <laughs> I wondered what you were doing there. I thought you must be. Shall I just check then? Go for it. Oh, it's still good. Oh, he's at the 19th hole. 19th hole. Yeah, it must, it's a playoff. They must have been level at the 18th with Hjolder Bergson of Iceland. Apologies to everyone in Reykjavik, by the way. <laughs> but uh, hopefully he can make it to the last 16 and we've still got some local interest in the competition. Fingers crossed. Well, tell you what, you keep an eye on that to see if a result comes through in the next minute or two because I briefly as well want to talk about cricket because the North of Scotland Senior League kicked off last weekend. Callum Scott's just won! Hooray! There you go. Didn't even get into the cricket. Callum Scott threw at the time of recording to, that'd be the last 16 then? The last 16. He won it on the extra playoff hole. Apologies, everyone. Um, but it's breaking news and bells and whistles. It almost never happens. <laughs> never happens. That's great. Congratulations then to Callum. Fingers crossed he can go even further over the next couple of days because that's fantastic for him. As we speak, Callum Scott is in the last 16 to play Harley Smith of England, uh, teeing off at 1.40pm on Thursday afternoon, yesterday. So hopefully he'll make the quarterfinals today. So, wow. Anyway, you were speaking about cricket. I'd want, I'm just saying that I was down at the match between Northern Counties and Ross County last weekend. Northern Counties ended up winning that by five wickets. There was a fantastic performance in particular from John Impey, who's a new player at Northern Counties. I don't think they really knew what they had in him. He was the fifth or sixth bowler to be throwing the ball and ended up taking seven wickets for the loss of eight runs. I know, Will, you're not a huge cricket fanatic, but that is outstanding. That If that happened in... An international level test match, that would be an all-time great spell of bowling. So to do that at any level is impressive. It basically won the game for Northern Counties. Dismissed Ross County for 102. They went and chased it down with five wickets to spare. MP even got some runs with the bat. They've got a couple of different challenges this weekend, though, because it's the 2020 Cup group stage where Northern Counties are going to be out at Ross County at Castle Loud, and they're going to be joined by Nairn County. There's a lot of counties in that group. That's not going to get confusing whatsoever. Northern Counties made it to the final of the competition the last time they played in it in 2019. But on Sunday, they've also got a Scottish Challenge Cup match against Stenhouse Muir. That's going to be completely different again. It's a longer format. It's not 2020. It's 40 overs, I believe. But it's a team that I don't think they've ever played before. This is a Scotland-wide competition. It's not just a North region thing. So best luck to them. Hopefully they can make an impression on a national stage because it's pretty rare that we see teams from the North taking part in the Challenge Cup. It would be great to see them doing well. I think, Will, that's all I've got. We've been talking for quite a while, but is there anything we've missed that you want to bring up? Just uh, congratulations uh, to the Scottish left-handed golf champions, Kevin Bartlett, and also the handicap champion, John McKenzie, who I think deserves a mention as well. At 71 years old, he made his debut and uh, he lifted the trophy. So congratulations to him. And congratulations to Muir Award for keeping the Scottish left-handed golf championships going because it used to be based at Newton Moore and it was kind of languishing a wee bit and the... Muir Award have done very well to revive the tournament, so congratulations to everyone involved. Well, that's it for another epic episode of Balls and Whistles. Somehow, Andrew Henderson has been allowed to go on holiday next week, so it's left up to me to take the wheel of this podcast dream. Ain't going anywhere nice for your he- holiday, Hendo? Probably not. I'd just be going to see friends and family, to be honest. I can recommend Granny's Healing Game. That's a great thing. You know what? I've heard a lot about that. I should go and check out at some point. 
go and check it out. Go and check it out. In the meantime, thanks everyone for listening. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>